Hey everyone, I'm Matthew. And I'm Ileana. Welcome to the Armory. This is a place where believers can be encouraged to live for Jesus and make disciples. We want to provide an arsenal of resources that help Christians to be bold in their faith. Our hope is that through this podcast, people will learn to love God's Word and abide in Christ. Thanks for joining. Alright, well welcome to this week's episode of The Armory, and today I am joined by none other than David Holly. Uh, introduce yourself, David. What, what are you doing here? Well, I'm here is because... Is there anything new in your life? There's something very new. Uh, you go through four title changes in life. I used to tell people that you become a son or daughter, uh, then Lord willing you get married and you become a husband or a wife, then if Lord wills you have children, you become a, a father or a mother... And then you get this last title change, which I just got a month ago. Yeah. Grandfather. So we're here that, seeing that, our grandson. We that, love you guys, but yeah, we're here to see our grandson that as well. have anything to do with why you're here? <laughs> so perhaps that's why we came out and why we're here. That's funny. Um, so today we, we just kind of wanted to talk about something that I think a lot of Christians struggle to grasp their minds, to grasp, just wrap their minds around. Um, it's this whole idea of finances. And, you know, there's obviously so many different things we can talk about, what the Bible says about money and all these different things. How should we give? How do we steward? You know, what's ours, what's not ours, budgeting. There's, you know, a million things we can talk about and we'll just play by ear. But before we do that, I kind of want you and kind of put you on the spot here to paint us a little small picture of why you are someone we should even listen to talking about finances. All right. Well, you didn't tell me you're going to ask me that question. uh, That's good. This is off the cuff. Yeah, no. So I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right away. Who cares? Who cares? Right. What, why? Why you're telling us what, this? Yeah. Why? Why the son becomes the teacher? So, well, it's interesting. We're really passionate about it. You know, because you yeah. lived in our house for all these years. Your mom and I were super passionate about it. And I would say, probably, why would you listen? Well, one of the reasons I think you'd listen is just because we've learned, and it's been a learning process over a number of years, where to ground our theology when it comes to managing money and finance. Yeah. Growing up, I probably digested every book on money and finance. I loved it. Almost a hobby. Um, and then when your mom and I got married, we were 30, so we were a little older when we get married, so we were pretty rooted in our practices. Um, and so I had some behaviors and what a truths I thought were about money, and your mom had some truths that, you, that she thought about money, and they really came as a byproduct of how you're raised. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I really... It was your Uncle Doug, actually, that pointed out that, hey, you need to relax a little bit on how you view money because you truly are a child of the Depression. You're the only one I know born in the 60s that actually acts like you were born in the 30s. And really what he meant <laughs> was I was just being super tight. Yeah. And you could argue, hey, well, that's good and so forth. But that was my view on money. Your mother, on the other hand, mm-hmm. came from an environment where they were poor, raised, quite frankly, close to poverty. Her, her dad was a pastor pastor of church, uh, kind of a poor church, uh, even across the border in Mexico, and but had a very giving mentality. Yeah. Um, he would give away his last dime, his last nickel, um, and so forth. And so what happened was you got two people that came together with two completely different philosophies on how to view money, really somewhat on how they were raised, and just learned. Mm-hmm. And what mom and I learned early in our marriage, fortunately, was... There's not my way, there's not mom's way, there's yeah. God's way. And when we finally got grounded in saying we're going to approach this on God's view of money, what interestingly happened, almost miraculously, rather than us fighting all the time, and it's pretty well known, you ask about what are the things that people fight about. Money is one of the top topics people yeah. fight about. It really isn't because they have to. It's because somebody's got their way and somebody's got the other way. And what mom and I had a perfect blend. But when we decided to say, you know what, we're going to see God's way on money, then we started to draw closer together. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, to answer your question, why? Probably, A, the mistakes we've made. <laughs> um, you know, I've lost everything. Mom's been raised in poverty. We've had opportunity to have plenty. We've had opportunity to have not much. Um, but we also then learned that once we get released our ways and views and started getting on a biblical mm-hmm. path for money and finances, and we really started it with Crown Financial, there's so many good resources, but it was Crown Financial that we really dug into many years ago. The fights happened yeah. less, and then we got much more grounded mm-hmm. in how we viewed that. So yeah. people can draw their own conclusion um, if if that's good or not. <laughs> well, um, you guys teach this too. I mean, 
there's I know you guys do a lot of counseling for Mm -hmm. young married couples, not necessarily even young, but just married couples in general on this issue. I know you guys have been involved with Crown Financial for Mm -hmm. a long time. And I mean, you have a plethora of connections in the biblical finance sector um, that are no stranger to you guys and what you guys have been doing. Yeah, it really is. We call it it's a really a privileged ministry opportunity we have because we've been through our journey. And I feel like we can be super authentic about it Mm -hmm. uh, and share our story um, and our challenges that we have a privilege of doing it and being put before couples, often couples, but also individuals on how to handle that. Um, Yeah, have a few people that are close to us that have authored some books in this area that we use as good resources that we can share later. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we've had we're all about resources here on the armory. Oh, you understand uh, that? I see that. A long time listener, first time, <laughs> yeah, yeah. first time, this first time guest. guest. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like we can talk about a lot of things, but I wonder what you think. This is kind of another on the spot question, but maybe it's not as out of left field. What do you think? is one of the biggest issues that Christians struggle with regarding finances in terms of maybe it's something misunderstood. Maybe the world does a better job at understanding it and we just don't get it. If you had to pinpoint, and you, you've been in the church for a while and, and you've been in all levels of it, right? You've been a new believer. You've been you know, serving. You've been an elder at a church. You are at your church in Indianapolis. What do you think is like the, the thing right now that if if we could just get Christians to understand this, we would be much more faithful in our ministry, we'd be much more fruitful in our exercise, we'd be much better um, evangelists or, you know, our marriages would be stronger, whatever it is. Is there something you could pinpoint that you think, like, this is, like, a big area? It doesn't have to be, like, the ultimate mm-hmm. thing, but what's something that's just, like, man, Christians just don't grasp this? Well, it's interesting you say that because I've been wrestling with a couple of different things. Um, in this because we're, we spend so much time in this area. Yeah. I feel like one foundational thing, and it is the foundational thing we always say, but when you ask me that question, maybe think of something else. Okay. Um, so I think the biggest thing is understanding ownership okay. and stewardship. And we talk about finances, and there's all these practical aspects, and I could talk for hours about practical things sure. of that and enjoy doing that. But if you don't pass one hurdle, Almost the rest of what we talk about is irrelevant. Now, we talk about who owns it, okay. right? So we kind of have a couple of world philosophies. The world typically says, I own it. Sure. Look at how I did. Look at what I got. Look at how I acquired, yeah. right? A Christian, and I would even say in quotes, a good Christian will say, well, God owns 10%. Yeah. And then I own 90%. And you can do that. And there's nothing wrong with, hey, I'm going to give 10% and then the 90% is to what? What I do with it is my business. Sure. And I wouldn't say even unhonorable things, right? But it's just like, that's it. But if you cross this path and realize that 100% of it is God's. Yeah. And that I'm just stewarding it. Okay. And I did an exercise when I did a finance once where I passed around a vase. You know, obviously your sister's adopted from China. And so I tell the story. I pull this vase out. Mm Mm-hmm. And I unwrap it with some paper and then I pass it around and I say as it's passing around the room that this is a priceless vase that we were given as a gift when we adopted our daughter in China. How do you think people pass that vase around? Yeah, really carefully. Right. They pass it really, some don't even want to touch it. They pass it super carefully. And it was probably about $2 that we bought at some market. (laughs) But when I get it back, I say, what was true about that as you pass that around? is that you were super careful about it. Everybody just said I was careful. I wanted to make sure I you know, handled it well. Well, think about that. Every dollar that we earn, and I, we obviously do the labor, right? But every dollar that we earn, do we care for it and steward it the same way that we do in that vase that I passed around that illustration? Yeah. And that would mean how you spend the other 90%. Yeah. Uh, scripture, 1 Corinthians ten twenty six talks about the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Mm-hmm. So if everything that comes into the Holly family is the Lord's, then what we do with it matters. Yeah. If you can't pass that hurdle, I find that as Christians, we all struggle. Yeah. So what about like, okay, you know, and just real quick, you know, going back to that 10% thing, for those who don't know, the 10% tithe model, something established in the Old Testament for Israel, um, which is interestingly enough, not seen in the New Testament. Uh, we carry it over. Um, kind of as a practice, but in the New Testament it says give generously. 
mm-hmm. um, which, you know, there are plenty of people giving 10% and it is not generous. And there are plenty of people who give $5 uh, a year to the church. Mm-hmm. And that is the most generous thing because they all, that's all they have. Mm-hmm. So generosity is on a spectrum. Um, and, it, you know, the, the 10% thing is an old, an old Testament kind of idea, but just for people who don't understand what that is. But let's just say I prayed about it with my family and, you know, 10%, it's definitely hard. Like, you know, we, we, if we give 10%, we, we feel that. It's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So we're going to give that to the Lord because we want to, you know, show, we want to we present that to the Lord. We want to give a little when it hurts. You know, we don't want to be selfish with our money. And let's say we have this other 90% and I bought a nice house. That's mine. Like, I get to do what I want with that house, right? Like, that's, that's not part of it. We're talking finances right now, right? Like, there's no, the other money, like, that's, you know, we're talking about giving, but like, I already put my money in my house, my truck, those things I don't have to be stewards of, right? Like that's that's different. Must be a different category. I, unfortunately, it's not. Okay, and I think <laughs> that's the challenge. I think because we look at that and they always say, "Is this God's or not?" Sure. And you start to get certain. We do a thing in, in Crown. We do these things called a quit claim deed. Is right when you get in, and we say, "We want you to write everything that's your possession." Okay. And um, when you write down all your possessions, yeah. um, and then you deed them over. Uh, to the Lord and saying, these are all yours. We're sitting in an office here, these chairs, this table, uh, the things that we have around here. And so how they're being utilized matter. Okay. And so it's nothing wrong with having a large house. I've seen some of the people with the most affluent looking lifestyles mm-hmm. be the the least uh, materialistic. Yeah. Right. And I've seen people with almost nothing sure. be completely materialistic. But unfortunately, the Lord isn't asking about just that 10%. And, you know, we could unpack the doctrine of that. Actually, in the Old Testament, it's 23%. If you really were to do the math, it was for Old Testament times. And so generous giving really doesn't have a number on it. Yeah. Um, So, no, unfortunately, it's everything. Yeah. Um, And so it's not that the Lord doesn't want us to have good things. Yeah. So we're trying to be a steward of everything. Like, we're trying to steward everything well, knowing it's all the Lord's what justification do I have to take my family to, you know, Europe for a week or buy a nice truck that I can afford? Let's say I can afford it easily. I, I, I don't buy a lot of, I don't buy new trucks, but I, I'm going to buy a new truck. Right? You know, my wife needs a new phone. I'm going to get her a new upgrade. You know, if I, if that's the case, why should, can we even do those things? Like, is that like super frowned upon? Yeah, so there's nothing that doctrinally says, you know, in, in the Bible. In fact, there's this misused scripture, like it's easier for, you know, a, um, a camel pass through the eye of a needle and, and a rich man to get into heaven. And the point is, what has your heart? Yeah. Right. And so you can start to tell what has your heart. So I'll give you a great example. If okay. you have a truck, yeah. there's a couple of jokes. One they say is, you don't need a truck. You just need a good friend with a truck. You don't need a, yeah. boat, a friend yeah. with a boat. That's a boat one. When somebody wants to borrow it, are they borrowing your truck or do you see that as an opportunity or privilege to allow them to utilize that to get something accomplished? I once had a friend that needed to go get a transmission and drive a couple of states away to get one. Sure. And so it, do I hold on? That's not to say that, hey, somebody's had seven accidents, I go lend them my truck. Sure. But <laughs> you get a sense, is that the Lord's or is it mine on yeah. how you utilize it and how gracious you are with yeah. that? Do you open up your home? to sure. others um, and in yeah. hospitality and, and things mm-hmm. like that. And so, of course, there's nothing wrong with recreating with your family yeah. uh, by any means. And for so sure. it's not for me to call you on that. Yeah. I wonder what that would look like more if Christians prayed over their possessions and said, Lord, you know, I've, you've, been, you've stewarded me with this house, regardless of how big it is. How do you want me to use it? Um, I think things would change. I think we would be, I think we'd realize more and more. One, we'd probably hear from the Lord and hear those opportunities present themselves because we're, we're actually listening because they're all around us. And two, I think, I think we'd have a greater appreciation for the body of Christ as us working together as one, one body trying to love one another. Um, but it kind of goes back to that thing. You know, we hear it all the time. People pray for wealth mm-hmm. so they can be givers. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, I, I hope, I hope I could be a millionaire so that I could be just like a very generous with my money. And I imagine you find more often than not that those people are not being generous with the little they have at the moment. And the odds are they're probably not going to be generous with that million dollars once well, they get it, if they get it. Statistically, interestingly enough, they're statistically, unfortunately, tithing isn't about the 3% range. And as people's wealth increases, 
their generosity doesn't increase proportionally. So yeah. the interesting thing, if you think about it, it cost to live, right? And I realize there's challenges today, but as your income goes up, your cost to live don't go up proportionally. Yeah. Right? There's so much for food, clothing, and shelter. Now, we may choose to expand to that. Yeah. Right? And I think that's the interesting thing. There's a great book called God and Money. I love this resource. Who's that by? Um, I remember. Well, it's, it's written by uh, two young men that were Harvard law grads, and we okay. can put it in the resource book. Sure. Got to meet them at a dinner. And the interesting thing is they actually agreed to come up with a limit where they would actually have steward, people around them that would declare their standard of living. So can you imagine getting okay. five of your friends that you're willing to say, sure. hey, we'll sit around and we'll cap a standard of living. So they actually made a decision to cap oh, the standard of living. And not to dictate what that standard should be, but before it happened. Okay. Um, there was a gentleman I remember who spoke at one of our conferences that said him and his wife write down all the things that they felt would be their standard of living in case things went really well. Because they knew if things went really well, they would change. Yeah. And it happened. Their company exploded. He did extremely well. But if they had not written it down, they would have expanded their st standard of living because they could. Yeah. And so, unfortunately, what you see is as people's income, there's a great story, and I'm going to share it. I wasn't sure, sure I was going to share it, but it's, a, it's about a pastor who had somebody in his congregation. It was actually a Highland Park church in Dallas. And he said to the pastor that I want a covenant with him to tithe 10%, which that's a great covenant. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but things changed. When he when he tied $1,000 the first year, he made $10,000. And then he made $100,000 and he ties $10,000. And then he actually made a million and he tied $100,000. But then his income grew and his business grew and he actually made $6 million. Mm. And he actually went and telephoned the minister to go back and talk to him and say, I need you to help me get out of this covenant. I can't afford $600,000. Now, remember the original story, he had made $10,000 and tithe one. Yeah. Now making $6 million. And the story goes, he walked in the pastor's office and he begged to be let out of the covenant. He goes, the tithing business has to stop. It was fine when it was $1,000, $10,000, even $100,000, but I can't afford $600,000. You've got to do something. So the pastor knelt on the floor and prayed silently for a long time. And the man said, what are you doing? Are you praying to God to let me out of this covenant of this tithe? And he says, no, I'm praying for God to reduce your income back to the level where it was just $1,000 that you had to tithe. Yeah. Hmm. And so, look, I don't sign up for health, wealth, prosperity that, you know, as you give, God will have an economic increase. And if you don't, you know, to decrease. Right. Yeah. But reality is it's interesting if you don't predecide what your standard of living and depends i don't know where your audience is is they're younger you should sort of pre-decide what would be my standard of living because there'll always be a pressure hmm. think about you know this time we're in the holiday season right it's about black friday and shopping and yeah. pursuing right well if you were to pre-decide or even pray about you made this comment pray about purchases how often do we pray about a purchase yeah um probably not a lot yeah no uh, for sure and um or pre-decide that yeah. would have a lot to do it. And if you were to say, Lord, how would this glorify you? Mm -hmm. It's not that you can't go ahead and get a car or get a phone for your wife, as you said. But how would this glorify you yeah. in my utilization of this? Yeah, I think people, I don't think people realize fully the power of prayer and how the Lord desires to answer the prayers of people seeking after his will. Um, just to use a funny example, we've, we've mentioned trucks like six times in this podcast. We were just in a part of Maryland today looking at a truck that I was thinking about buying. <laughs> and I told my dad, um, this is a nice truck. It was a 2015 uh, Chevy Silverado. And I was like, man, this is a nice truck. It looks like it was something we can afford uh, at the price it was at. We need to go check it out. You know, it had all these great things about it. There wasn't really any issues. It was like a perfect truck. And so we went to talk to the guy about it. And I started doing some little research on my phone when the guy was getting some paperwork and I realized that according to a bunch of these reports that the 2015, I mean, if you have, if this is the car you have, don't, don't go freaking out, but you know, the 2015 Silverado is probably the worst year to buy a Silverado. Like this has chronic engine reliability issues, transmission problems. And for me, like I can't afford to be paying all that money for, for repairs. So I looked at the, at my dad and I'm like, okay, I'm not getting this car. You know, I just, I can't afford it. And you can tell it kind of seemed a little like upset, like, oh man, this is such a great truck. This would be perfect for you guys. Um, then I told him, he, but this is what he didn't know. I said, well, I prayed about it last night, and I prayed the Lord would just make it clear if this was a truck for our family. And I, I'm be honest with you guys. I'm not saying that because that's how I live my life. I rarely do that. 
Um, well, I but was... I did, and I looked at it, and I said, well, that's all I needed to hear. The truck's probably not a good truck for me. I'm at peace with it. I'm done. Um, but I think the Lord just answered that prayer in that moment. And, you know, I was really looking forward to bringing that truck home this week. Uh, but, you know, I, I feel fine now. I'm, I'm glad I didn't buy it. And I think the Lord honored that. And I wish I did it more often because I know that God is faithful and to fulfill his promises. And he promises to answer the prayers of those seeking after his will. Um, so that's just, there's an example. But... <laughs> Well, and the funny thing is, I was actually the one that was probably disappointed. I'm like, I was sitting there and I was trying to almost rationalize it. You know, I had to confess, to, to, literally <laughs> to this audience, I was trying to rationalize this purchase because I wanted you guys to have a, a vehicle. Yeah. And it was close to your price range. And then I looked over and I'm thinking, what? Uh, we're not going to get it. But you know what? I was proud of you because at the end of the day, it probably wasn't a great stewardship decision. Yeah. Because that's the thing. We could we could have afforded that car. Um that would not. That was not the question, right? Uh, it, but it does come down to the end of the day. If we were viewing money as it's not my money, it's God's money, and I'm thinking, okay, maybe this car's gonna have a lot of issues down the road, and I'm gonna have to waste more of His money to fix it, um, or maybe I'm not gonna be able to bless people the way that God's called me to because I have to pay X amount of money to fix this truck over and over again. You know, and I could have bought the truck, and who knows? Someone's gonna buy that truck, and maybe it'll be fine. It will run for four hundred thousand miles and break some records. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But. Um, I think that was a, a, a blessing for me because I got to see the Lord work in my heart. Because in my own nature, that's not who I am. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm by nature a spender, which has changed a lot since I got married. But I am by nature someone who, you know, I wanted that truck. I've been mm-hmm. looking at it. And I'm like, oh, if you can get it this weekend, it'll be awesome. And, sure. you know, it's just, it's not, it's not in the Lord's timing. So, But like you said, it's a stewardship thing. I don't think we think of stewardship that way. Um, and I think we specifically limit it to, you know, the how do I steward the money that God's called me to give him? Well, if he's called me to give 10%, I'll give 10%. And I don't know, I've, I've checked the stewardship box mm-hmm. and moving on. Um, people don't consider how their time is stewardship or how their possessions are stewardship. And, I, you know, that time's a big one. Mm-hmm. And you've talked about this before. You know, time is our most precious commodity. Mm-hmm. It's we, we get less and less and less time every second of the day. You will never get more of it. I can always get more money, mm-hmm. um, but I'll never get my time back. So how we use our time is very, it's, it's important. And I think sometimes that's another struggle that Christians have is giving generously of their time um, when they know it's, it's a limited commodity. Yeah, well, and it's interesting because the thing that it, you would not typically have a go-to scripture, uh, really a couple of years ago weighed on us the scripture, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, and it's, um, you know, it's the race of faith. A lot of people on your audience might know it. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let, a, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so when you think about that scripture, we think about sin, and we need to be thinking about sin, but we do, we gloss over often. And this is one that the last couple of years has really been a focus when we, particularly mom and I, what do we have in our life that are weights? Okay. So are things that are not sinful? Sure. But are they weights? And so when you think about like time, mm-hmm. and I'll use a really simple example. A number of years ago, we had forty three foot fifth wheel camper. Right. It's not sinful to have one. Uh, we had it when you kids were all growing up and everybody was in the house. But it got to a point where it was a weight and it may sound like a goofy thing for to say for you it could be anything it could if you're someone here who has a vacation home and says it's not bad to have one but perhaps it's a weight perhaps it's that vehicle that you're like you're just polishing all the time and taking care of like your stuff can be weights Mm -hmm. and so that was a weight for us because what happened was it it took away time money and attention from other things we always had to be doing this doing this and it wasn't a constant source of even ministry within our home. If we did it, you know, six months a year or a couple months a year. So again, there are things, and you have to ask that for yourself. What do I have? Maybe a home that you have is a weight because of the things you have to do to take care of it and things like that. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's the danger when you are asking earlier, what, you know, is that nugget? Really understanding what are weights and things that weigh us down. The God money really helps you focus on the idea of um, can you buy things a lot of financial people think, can you buy this? Can you afford to buy this? Well, the answer often is yes, but you need to be asking, should I? Yeah. Because this become another thing that might weigh me down. Yeah. Again, not sinful. 
And that's sure. the difference, I believe, from just the, the general worldview, okay. which is this is mine, I can do with what I will, and really saying, hey, is this something that's weighing me down, perhaps from other things that the God, that God would have me doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's important to understand the, you know, there's plenty of things we can do. And it's not that doing them is, like you said, is even bad. But what is weighing us down that keeps us from running the race quickly? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the sin is kind of understood in that passage. Like, sin weighs you down. Sin is going to slow you down from running the race well. But there's so much other stuff that we have on us that's just baggage that keeps us from running well. And I think um, it's no wonder why I think Christians get discouraged around this issue. Because um, we look at it from such a um, tunnel view mindset. Like, when I think of finances, when I think of stewardship, when I think of all these things, generosity, it's simply just how I tied my money on, mm-hmm. on Sunday. It has nothing to do with how I live my life outside of that. The Lord's not concerned with those things. And I think that's a trap um, mm-hmm. that's really easy to fall into. Well, here's the interesting thing. I, what we haven't mentioned is I spent the last 10 years of my life ministering to Christian business owners. So I have a ministry yeah. that focuses on Christian business owners. And so in one sense, people look at this and say, oh, affluent, right? Um, because they think of that as business owners, and certainly some have done well. But the interesting thing, if I've watched, and I see, when I sit in a room, I sit in a room in a kind of a board of advisors type of environment with typically a dozen, mm-hmm. and I can tell where money has them yeah. and where money doesn't, right? And entrepreneurship is tough and all the things that come with that. But I've watched people that gloriously run a business, and it is they literally know tomorrow the Lord can take it and it doesn't have them and it doesn't define them. And that's when you know somebody's in a healthy place with finance. Um, there's a guy named Alan Barnhart who runs a construction crane and rigging company, right? And it's hundreds of millions of dollars. But he set a fixed income years ago and he actually doesn't own it. Um, he actually has it set up in a trust situation where not only does he not own it, his kids don't get it. And so hmm. in one sense, that company, if it does phenomenal there'll be more for kingdom impact and if it goes down things won't change much for him so he's he's decided there's a standard of living so still running an excellent company but it doesn't necessarily have them yeah but on the flip side i can see people pursuing and there is no marker Mm. right i have a really sad story of a guy that used to work for me and then once he went to work for a startup company made 15 million dollars and I'm thinking, wow, what would you do with all that? Like, because he came out of pretty humble raising, just like I did. And I'm thinking, man, that's like more money than you'd ever know what to do with. But he had met a guy that had his own plane. And that's literally the conversation he had with me. I met a guy that had his own plane. And now that's my new marker. Yeah. And so the same guy that 10 years early couldn't have imagined what he would have done with 15, all of a sudden now had this new marker. Yeah. And unfortunately, it played out as he pursued those things. It cost him his family. And, yeah. And things and did so he ever, did he ever get the plane he never got the plane that i'm aware of he, but here's but, the thing what if he did get the plane what's next well there'd just be a new marker that's what i mean right it's and never so the, gonna end the, so the thing just continues to move and so i think there's just unbelievable prudence yeah. to deciding what is my standard of living randy alcorn did a lot of teaching on this yeah um and this and there goes through this in the book of god and money um, peter oaks as another gentleman who, who wrote about it in, in generous giving, just the whole idea of what's my standard of living and sort of pre-deciding. Yeah. Those who are young in your audience, it's a great thing. Yeah. But it, for those of us who are older, it's okay for us to decide, hey, this is the right standard of living. Um, and then, you know, frees us up for the Lord's work in the rest of the areas. Yeah. Do you think, what are some, what are some practical ways that people who, let's say they're in high school getting ready to go to college, mm-hmm or college, ready to go into the workforce, whatever. They're about to move into a, a new pivotal life stage. They're young. What's something they can do to start doing this well at a young age? Because I th- And I also want to piggyback off that and say, what's something that someone who's 60 can do that to do this well? Because it's not too late. Mm-hmm. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, so I love the practical, right? So yeah. we haven't really hit on a lot of the practical. And you know, because you've... Uh, for better or worse, you can tell your listeners later after I'm gone, no. um, you've had a front row seat to hearing all <laughs> the practical inside your house. It's funny. Um, there's a gentleman, and I call him a dear friend, Russ Cross, and wrote this book, Your Money Made Simple. And I love the practicality of it. Yeah. And he talks about, literally, he, he puts a flip chart up and he says, there's really only five uses of money. 
and it's a great resource. You can put a link into it. Yeah. Um, you have your income, but then you have five uses. And really it is about the best thing I can tell you to do at any age is make the decision on what those five are. So this will be, this will transcend youth or older. So if you're my age, you can still do this. Pre-decide what your giving plan is. Mm-hmm. You do the math on what your tax. You got to render to Caesar what is Caesar's. <laughs> Decide your standard of living. Okay. If you have debt, now I'm going to have two comments about debt. Okay. If you're existing with debt, then get laser focused on that reduction of debt. Okay. Um, there's a guy that uh, Dave Ramsey that says like scorched earth, right? And there's all sorts of scripture about borrower server. Ser, uh, servant to the lender and, and things like that and why you should get rid of debt. Um, so you know, living in our home, your mom and I are big anti-debt people. Yeah. Um, we know it happens, right? We've had our uh, seasons with it, but we got super focused on it um, really as a freedom mm-hmm. for other things. And yeah. in our case, it's a freedom for ministry, but it can be, you know, time with the family. There's lots of things. And then savings. And so the most practical thing you can do um, is to focus on what are those five boxes. Taxes is going to be math. You know, income is going to be decision, obviously, based on what you're earning, but you can tune that up and down depending. Get laser focused on the reduction of debt, and then you've got to make your determination on your standard of living and then savings. Mm-hmm. Now, if you ask me to the younger in your audience, what do you do? Yeah. I have had a privilege of speaking to like groups of people. And when they're younger, I typically say, you have one thing that I don't have. And I wait for a second and I look at them. And I'm 57. Nobody can see me. So I'm 57. <laughs> but when I speak to a group of 20 somethings and I say, you have one thing I don't have, what do you think they say that is? Time. Exactly. And so the one thing you have that I don't is time. And I use a really simple illustration. It's kind of a goofy illustration. In fact, we probably have to update it. But if at 20 years old, you put $100 away a month from 20 to 30 mm-hmm. and stop. For 10 years. Yeah, just for 10 years. Okay. And then all your friends start at 30 and go to 65. So 35 years. Yeah, and they will never catch you. Okay. Now, you have to invest that money, right? Sure. And so the principle about that is you can't just bury it, right? There's yeah. a whole parable about burying your money. But you have to put it to work and invest it. Yeah. Safe, you know growth stock, mutual funds, things like that, like everything from 401ks, mutual funds. There's lots of things on that. There's even a chapter on that in this book. But, um, and people are like, no, that's not right. And I'll just run the math with them, right? And if you do it for 10 years, because of compounding and how that grows over time, they'll never catch you. And now I do not advocate you stop at 30. Sure. (laughs) And my whole point isn't just about accumulating wealth, but it does give you freedom for other areas of ministry and things you want to focus on. So when I say to the young is get real disciplined early. My father uh, had a great principle on this, and this is when I listened to him. He says, when you start, you're used to living with a very low standard of living. You're yeah. probably in school or whatever, so you're living pretty poor. Yeah. When you start, the first raise you get, don't change your standard of living. And it actually was a great idea. Yeah. And he says, use that to increase until you can get 10 to 15% of your income put away in savings Hmm. um, as you prepare for whatever the Lord will have. It doesn't mean that it's about sitting on the beach playing golf or whatever. It's, you know, we have opportunity to serve, you know, our co-founder of our ministry right up to 83 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, He was serving till four days before he went home to be with the Lord. Right. So it isn't necessarily sitting around doing nothing, but it gave him the freedom to serve Mm -hmm. thousands, basically, of people. In that ministry. So lots of practical things there, but that sure. was a, a great tip. Yeah. What I'm hearing this common, if I'm, if I'm putting a thread mm-hmm. through our conversation, I keep hearing not that biblical stewardship and generosity and all that just pleases God, which it does. Mm-hmm. It's that there is freedom in this. Um, I think that is a big issue just in the world today is that money has people. Mm-hmm. Um, how many, you know, marriages or relationships have ended because people were just uber focused on money. Um, there's just no end in sight. It's money, it's money, it's money. I don't have enough money. How can I get more money? Um, 
you know, people aren't ever in anguish about how they we just can't give away our money fast enough. Mm-hmm. I can't serve people quick enough. Like that's not something people are are are, are dying over. But it's yeah. the other thing, and I think uh, at the end of the day, that's what ruins people's lives, which is something so funny because money if it's a gift from the lord right it can be used for kingdom purposes Mm -hmm. it can be used for his glory but it also can be used to absolutely and utterly destroy Mm -hmm. and i think christians think just because we have the bible and maybe we read some passages about money and we maybe know how to treat money that we're not going to fall prey to any of those things look it's rampant and so i'm going to tell you if i could do a quick illustration yeah. Um, I spoke at your grandfather's funeral and I gave sort of the principles of his life, right? Lessons from my father, I think I said. And I had all sorts of different ones. But one I had, I hit on, was contentment. Um, because I remember when your uncles and I closed up our house, uh-huh. you know, grandpa's house, stood on the porch. And I remember growing up, it was, I think, probably a 1,500 square foot house. Yeah. Um, and in a rural area. And we sat on there and I remember us looking on the porch, looking out. And there was people in town. I remember people owned the oil company and people were doctors and stuff. I remember there were people that had, but I remember growing up thinking to myself, I never remember being in want. Mm-hmm. And so what I said is that my dad and my mom, but my dad modeled contentment. Yeah. And so we are not content and it's not much different in the church than it is outside the church. And it was interesting because somebody came up after me who was who had been, from a world's perspective, quite affluent, had older than me, but walked up to me and he was had notes and he was pointing to it. He goes, hmm, he had lake houses and things like that. Ah, that contentment. Boy, I really need to understand that better. And this is somebody at that point, which was probably mid-60s to 70, mm-hmm. that season had passed. And I really ached because he lived his whole life pursuing. Yeah. And he's still sitting there at that age and saying, yeah, I really need to understand that one. And so unfortunately, I would tell you inside the church, we don't understand that yeah. uh, contentment, and that's mm-hmm. what, and that's why I say this: evaluate Hebrews twelve one. There's not a book on that one for finances that I'm aware of, but there are various I'd buy it and read it. And I think that we have to understand what are things that are weights. Yeah. And there's a business study on it too. There, when factories first went to Mexico years ago, I mean, I'm talking many, many years ago, people would come out of villages and go work for the U.S. factories, and yeah. in one year they would quit. Why do you think they would quit in one year? Any idea? I don't know. They made so much money that they didn't need any more. Hmm. And so what I'm about to tell you really happened. Those same businesses sent catalogs. We don't really do catalogs much anymore. Sure. We do the internet, right? Sent catalogs to all those employees, and they never quit again. And you know what it was? Is They had everything they needed. Until you pushed in front of them. And look, I'm a guy that made a career in marketing. Pushed in front of them all these desirable things to buy. Yeah. And so I would just tell you, going on to Amazon and all those things, and it's even to the the people of us that are solid, get drawn into, oh, that is a pretty nice car or this is a yeah. thing. So we're all drawn to it because why aren't we content? I grew up in a home much more modest, and I never remember not being content. And I've had to fight contentment. Yeah, you know, even as I've grown, and they prove that by showing that if they could create a desire in them for things they didn't have, yeah. they had them working for them for life. Mm-hmm. So again, not that these things are inherently bad, but do they have you? Sure, I think that's something that a challenge to anyone listening. You're gonna have to evaluate your heart and understand: Am I someone who really struggles in this area? Is this something? Because some some people, this money might not have a hold of them. Mm-hmm. And praise the Lord. Maybe mm-hmm. they are just very generous naturally, mm-hmm. and this isn't this isn't a big struggle area, which is possible. Um, but for others, we really might need to consider: okay, how how many people and how quickly can I get these people in my life speaking into these areas? Because I I find myself day in and day out mm-hmm. thinking about the money I have, checking that bank account. How much money do I have for this? How much can I get this? And I think one of the I've been challenged recently, just over the past month, about how our fam, my family, can be a more giving family, Ileana and I. And um, 
what prompted that is because I found myself, I stopped myself one day and realized all day long I thought more about what I could buy and things I wanted than how I could give that money that I had. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and it just appeared to me in my mind, the Holy Spirit for sure just illuminated that, Matt, you have been so concerned lately with what you can buy with your money and not how can you serve with your money. Mm-hmm. And so that was a wake-up call for me. And so I know I'm someone who, who who benefits from those things, who benefits from accountability. And I think there's a lot of people listening who have no hope, just to be transparent, don't have hope of doing this well with, on their own, which yeah. is okay because the Christian life is not a life that we're called to do on our own. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, run the race. We have a great cloud of witnesses, right? Mm-hmm. That whole phrase is saying, listen, there are people who have run this race before. Mm-hmm. Look to them. There are people who are running the race now. Some are faster than you. They're going to slow down and help you get faster so that you can pull in people who are slower. This is a community thing. And this is the beautiful thing about the church. And we talk about this on a podcast all the time, the importance of community. If you don't have a community that you can talk to about your finances, that you can say, hey, maybe I need some accountability on my standard of living and need to hold you to that. Um, that's a challenge for some people, but that is necessary if you really want to find not just freedom from the weight that it, that money can be, but also just living a life that's pleasing to the Lord because it is not something that comes to us very naturally. <laughs> yeah, and so in our when we do our biblical finances, one of the topics we cover is counsel and who you're seeking counsel from. Yeah. And so we've been privileged. We always have somebody around us that we can seek counsel, some practical counsel, yeah. but then also biblical counsel. And there has been times when your mother and I have had different viewpoints. And I remember one time she said, hey, you know what? We were having a discussion about whether or not we should do something. At the same time, we both came to the same uh, conclusion. Call Lou, who was a, a dear friend of mine, who he so- trusted as counsel. And I remember calling him, and he basically said, without going through the story, he goes, well, brother, I wouldn't say that you're in sin, but I'd call you a poor steward. And he was really busy. He got out of a meeting. He goes, I love you, got to go, and hung up on me, and then laughed. And then when I called your mom back, she goes, we're not supposed to do this, are we? And I said, no. She had already, the Holy Spirit had already convicted her that we weren't supposed to do this. But we had this benefit of godly counsel around us. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, I think without that, um, we're setting ourselves up for failure. It's like that whole thing. Like, you know, how, how close can I get to the line? That's the, the question Christians love asking, right? We, don't, we never ask, how can I lo- look at this thing and bring the most glory to God? We always ask, how can I get as close as possible to this without being in sin? <laughs> and yeah. so I think that's the the mindset we have about a lot of these things. You know, like alcohol is a big example, uh, an example probably everyone's familiar with. Mm-hmm. The Christians are always asking, how much can you drink or, 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 what, or what situation can I drink? Because they're trying to figure out where, how can I get so close to the line but still be okay. out of sin? And we never go, how can I glorify God uh, mm-hmm. in this situation? Um, which for a lot of people is running far away from that. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with the finance thing. It's the same with money. And we just, I, I think sometimes we're scared to ask that question because we know that the Lord's going to have to do a work in our in our, mm-hmm. in our our checkbook. Mm-hmm. Um, if we ask God to intervene in our lives, if we have him shine that spotlight in our soul, um, the sin will be revealed. Mm-hmm. And that's a very uncomfortable thing. Yeah. Um, so I have a question for you, and this is like a practical question for me. Okay, you're gonna help me with this, and this gonna—I think by by proxy will help others. So I have a son; he's one month old. He Mm -hmm. doesn't know anything. He doesn't do anything. He eats, sleeps, poops. Mm -hmm. What can I do? What can what habits? What things can I start to do as he's getting older, at at the youngest age possible, to start instilling this in his heart? Um, How can I bring him into this with Ileana and I? Uh, Because it'd be easy. It'd be easy for Ileana and I to do this well, and then you know. 18 years go by, and I'm like, oh, man, I just missed it with him. Mm-hmm. What can I do with him at the earliest age possible to bring him in on this vision for stewarding our money well, stewarding our time well, stewarding all our talents well, stewarding all that God's given us well? That's that's the question. <laughs> yeah, so I think you, at a very young age, you can start to, to train a child um, and in the very practical ways, there's even fun little ways to do it with little banks and stuff like that. I know everything's electronic nowadays, but, yeah. um, you can start them very young with giving, saving and spending. Right. And, it, and, and the predecessor to that though, I would say, and you could tell your audience later is work. Yeah. Right. Cause I think kids need to know the value of work, right? We made you move. I don't remember, but I remember 
Greg Cook telling me, do you know how many tons of bricks you had him move? And so one time we, we were always about stilling work. And so I'm not a fan of allowance, right? And just giving money and so forth. And so yeah. you can start at a very young age that they get something. But it's actually good, I think, for them to learn how to give, learn how to save, yeah. and then learn how to spend. I think it's okay to learn how to spend, right? Yeah. Um, and you can do things to enhance it, Um age appropriate so i don't know if you remember but you one time lost that little nintendo thing and you had got it for christmas and then you lost it or something like okay that. yeah and then like you didn't have it and so you wanted to get a new one but you didn't have enough money so i actually let i i lent you money and it probably was eighty dollars but i also charged you interest and your mom said that it was like illegal how much interest i charged you because i basically said well if you wait to buy it okay but if you want to borrow it then I'm going to charge you interest. And I think I charged you, like, you borrowed 80 and I charged you 8 bucks a week. It was, like, completely, like, loan sharking. <laughs> but I knew you wouldn't get it if it was only, like, $80.50. So I sure. actually kind of accentuated it. So there's all these simple little things you can do with a kid. Yeah. Um, but you want to teach them giving. Yeah. And I know churches do it a lot differently, but to the extent you can have them learn yeah. how to give, just have them that habit and heart of it. Yeah. And when they try to do things, um, sometimes let them. You yeah. know, the one thing I say, one time there was a there was a young kid in our ministry that wanted to give him almost everything he had. And I actually applauded the father to not say reward him by then giving him the money back. Like say if he had a hundred dollars and he wanted to give a hundred dollars or something, just let him sometimes play it all the way through. Yeah. I think it's sweet and so forth. And sometimes, you know, a parent might say, Okay, well, because you did that, well, because then you might be teaching him something different. Sure. Um so I think you can start at a pretty young age. Yeah. And uh, and there are things you can accentuate so they get it. Because again, yeah, like taking some of their if food they put it in their as back, taxes right. so they understand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, there's life's the not par- fair. There's always the parent tax, right? <laughs> but but like savings, I don't think there's anything wrong with matching savings, yeah. right? Because they won't necessarily get it if you put in $100 and you have $100 and 5 cents the way interest rates are today. Sure. But as a parent, you can teach them the value of that. Yeah. Um, Something you said made me think about this. You know, I wonder what our a, a new generation of, of Christian believers would look like if instead of teaching our children to give, we taught them how to be generous. Mm. Um, because that just transcends all those things. Like those categories are great. I think those are important. I remember doing those. And mm-hmm. it teaches us a lot of things, right? Mm-hmm. But I wonder what our lot, I wonder what our kids and our future generations would look like if we taught them how to be generous. I have a friend that I, Worked with for a couple of years uh, in Texas. He was a Navy SEAL. Mm-hmm. His name's Charles, and uh, his kids just love the Lord. And his big family. His kids love their parents. And he told me I, I talked to him a lot about parenting because Ileana and I were pregnant for a while at the time when we were down in Texas. And he said, you know, a lot of parents teach their kids. I don't remember what he said, but like this and this and like how to do this, and all those things are great. Um, but I teach my kids how to pray for other people. And so you, there's pictures in his office of his kids with random people on the street, and they're just, like, praying for people. Mm. And these are, like, little kids. Yeah. Um, and I thought, oh, that's crazy. Mm. So I wonder what it would look like if we taught our children or if we if we helped others instead of the importance of giving, the importance of generosity. And I think that would – I think that could fix a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think generosity – so the thing I'll tell you that you – I don't know if you know, I know, but I'm wrestling with this now, and your mom knows it – is in Matthew twenty five forty. Really, I lived for a couple of years and really marinating on Hebrews twelve one. Yeah. What are weights in our life? And now I'm really marinating on um, Matthew. I think it's twenty five forty. Um, what you did to the least of these, you did to me. And so, where is our least of these ministry? Yeah. Um, and to that is generosity, right? And there's lots of layers of generosity. That's not just with money, but it's with your talents, with your time. Um, and certainly your resources, right? And yeah. so um, I think of that when you say that, right? And um, There's plenty of least of these. Yeah, and no, how, no lack. How are we really being generous yeah. in that way? For sure. Do you have, uh, this is another on the spot, so if you, don't, if you don't have something, it's okay. On this podcast, and as you know, we like to give a challenge for people to think about, to dwell upon, to do something for the next two weeks until we have our next podcast. Is there a applicable challenge here that you can think of for our audience, which, again, it ranges in age, lifestyle, life Mm -hmm. stage, but what's a challenge for 
our audience as we go into the next two weeks, something they can carry on, maybe as even as carry on into the new year as we're thinking about new beginnings, new challenges, new new things going on in our lives, Yeah. whatever. Well, I think we'll tie it to what I just said. So uh, I'm going to go back to the Hebrews 12 one. I think everybody could take a challenge between this and your next podcast. Okay. What is a weight yeah. in our life okay. when it comes to money and finances? Um, and I, I'll open people's thinking. It can't, it might be, I used a very goofy example, right? In this big camper we had, it could be a thing you have. It could be your house. It actually could be a job you have, right? Yeah. And I'm not, you need to be providing. So don't mislead me in a world where sometimes we've gone mad with, with work. Um, but you might have one where you're 80, 90 hours a week where you're pursuing something that could be a weight, right? Yeah. But it's probably to the pursuit or something. So I would just say, Pray over Hebrews 12, 1 mm-hmm. and evaluate what might be a weight in your life. Yeah, that's a good challenge. I think we could talk probably for hours about this topic, we but we're, we're approaching the hour mark. Oh my, that's right. 50 minutes. So before we go, um, just speaking of resources, we're going to link all, all these resources. Uh, we talked about a lot of things in the show notes, but one thing we want to do, what's the book... Uh, is your money made simple? By your Russ? money made simple. So that's one of the resources we talked about a couple of times. If anyone wants a copy of your money made simple, and you're not gonna, you're not gonna read it because you don't want to buy it or you can't afford it. I don't know how much it costs. Let me know. Let us know. Send us a message on Instagram. Email us if you know us personally. Text us. I have 50 copies in my office, and I will just send it to you. So if that's the barrier between you having a book and not having a book is the finance issue. Just send us a copy. Um, I'm not. That's not. Before we hyper-spiritualize what I just said, that's not me and my generosity. Russ Crossan personally gave me 50 books to distribute, so don't thank me. Thank Russ. Um, but we just want to make sure we can provide you guys with things like that. Um, yeah. Did anything else you want to well, say before we know, get to the end here? We love that because it's such a practical resource, and Russ is a dear friend. And so we give that out, and we do meet with couples Yeah, often. Um, I meet with guys, um, but if there's couples, your mom and I will meet with a couple and you know, I don't know how that would work with your, you know, I think you said you have 14 million uh, followers. 13. Right? 13, 13 million, million. right. <laughs> but, um, we'd be willing to... I think it's 13 followers. I'm sure we'd be I'm willing to kidding. have a Zoom call with, with somebody if they had practical questions because we love the practical aspects of that. For sure. Um, but, yeah, that's a, that's a great way to start from a practical perspective. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you guys joining us for this episode. We're going to, as we mentioned last podcast, keep going on our two-week schedule as our, our lives are starting to get semi back to normal with our new child but uh we hope this was a helpful podcast we hope the resources are helpful as always you guys have any questions feel free to reach out and we look forward to talking to you guys in a couple weeks see ya